On the block, on demand. Without Jerry McEnroe, we would have won 10 f- games this year. Okay? Not 10. DeVito, pop pass, end zone, touchdown, and the ball game. DeVito, in relief, wins it for the Orange. They don't know about the Kumbaya meetings we had this week. Swing into this. It is over. The Boston Red Sox, baseball's best all season long. They have won it all. The Bills make me want to Josh Allen, touchdown Buffalo. A 14-yard quarterback draw. Somebody in Vegas told them they were going to win by 20. And the celebration begins. This is on the block. Right, you know, there's validity in that opinion. Here on ESPN Radio 97.7, Heard on 96.5 FM. Heard wherever you are, whatever you're doing on the ESPN app. Just find the Listen tab and find ESPN Syracuse or ESPN Radio Utica Rome. Listen out there. Kind of a, a, a frigid day to be out and about uh, even Summit looked at me during our daily walk and said, okay, Dad, it's time to go in. Summit won't wear a coat anymore. This, this is becoming a bit of a problem because the dog gets cold when we walk, when it's this cold, yet when I get her coat out, she runs into the other room like I just you know, found a skunk or something. Anyway, you, you don't need to hear about my dog problems, but wherever you are going, uh, take us with you. We're right there in your pocket on your smartphone, kids. On the ESPN app. We got a lot to get into today. It's a football Friday. I'm bracing myself. I mean, look, I have confidence. The bills make me wanna I still hold the opinion that if the Buffalo Bills do not make the Super Bowl, I, I, I feel within my rights to be disappointed. I think they're that good and can make that kind of run. But, hey, that's why they play the game. So we are ready for an NFL playoff weekend that includes the Bills and the Colts. Our friend Ben Heisler is going to join us this hour a little bit later than usual. He's going to join us at 440 to break down the, for entertainment purposes only, perspective of the upcoming NFL playoff weekend. We're excited about that. The NFL Blitz awaits you later in the program. Syracuse and Georgetown awaits us this weekend, and we are going to cover that in a number of ways today, including a guest that we are going to chat with this hour. I'm excited to talk to this gentleman. Now, look, you know, if you've listened to the show for a certain period of time, then you know this. I am very selective about guests that have books to push because I get pitched this stuff all the time, and I fell into that trap a while ago, and I did a disservice to my my radio audience. Just interviewing random people about random books, and sometimes they were bigger names and bigger subjects. And most of the time, I would I would I'd get a free book out of it. But did what did my audience get out of it? Right, like you guys don't want to hear somebody just pushing a book unless there's an angle it's interesting and it's relevant to you. Well, this is certainly the case. Jesse Washington of ESPN has written a book called "I Came as a Shadow." And it is about John Thompson. 
And this is going to be the first Syracuse-Georgetown game we're going to have without Big John, who, of course, passed away a few months ago. Jesse's going to tell us stories about working on the book, about the old Big East days, about the rivalry, about John, the legend, Big John, right? So I can't wait to have that conversation with Jesse and what that's been like to discuss this book, to help write this autobiography. And and then, of course, uh, we lost Big John. So a lot to get into with Jesse so two good guests this hour. Plenty of Syracuse-Georgetown talk throughout the program. We'll go on the blind side and everything. Oh, man, we're, we're ready. We're fired up and ready to go. I am particularly fired up about Syracuse-Georgetown, though. There is a bit of uh, news that we are going to share with you here. So I am just seeing now that the Syracuse-Clemson basketball game on Tuesday. Now, here's the bad news. The syracuse Clemson game on Tuesday, that has been wiped out. That has been canceled, I would assume, due to some COVID issues within the Clemson program. Here's the good news. That game will be replaced by North Carolina. Oh, game on. Tar Heels, Orange, early on. Now, Clemson was a team that was really establishing itself as a contender in the ACC and had the best defense in the ACC. That would not have been easy for the Orange. North Carolina now on the slate. Uh, We're also being told, by the way, that the Syracuse-Georgetown game, the tip time has been adjusted. It is now a 7 o'clock tip time instead of 8 o'clock. So that's fine. We're good with that as long as you don't put it on during the Bills game. That's all, Uncle Brent. I don't ask for a lot, but do not put that game on during the Bills game. And not only has the tip time been changed from 8 o'clock to 7 o'clock, the game is now on Big Boy ESPN. So, eyes of the nation. Now, there's NFL playoff games on all day, but if you wander over to ESPN, as many sports fans do when they're flipping around watching on a frigid Saturday afternoon in January, you're going to see the rivalry renewed, Syracuse-Georgetown. So, a couple of uh, breaking news items here. At the top of the show, we'll look into what happened with Syracuse and Clemson on Tuesday. Again, I would assume it's a COVID-related thing, and it's not Syracuse this time. Hey, <laughs> nice of them not to uh, inflict Syracuse again. So more to come on that as we go here, but we know Syracuse and Georgetown are playing tomorrow. And I look at this game like this. I know a lot of you that listen to this show are fans of this show, if you have not, not this show, but of course you're fans of this show, but fans of Cobra Kai. If you have not watched Cobra Kai and you're a child of the 80s like me, you watched the Karate Kid movies, you enjoyed the Karate Kid movies. Karate Kid 3 is regrettable in a lot of ways. It has its moments, but regrettable. I could not endorse Cobra Kai more. Cobra Kai is an enormously popular show, Netflix does not me need me to promote it. But I'm just, I'm, for those of you that are within the sound of my voice, and again, you would consider yourself a child of the 80s. You would consider yourself a fan of the Karate Kid movies or just what that meant in that, in that time in our lives. I cannot stress enough to you to begin watching Cobra Kai. It is a delightful show. It is a popcorn show. Don't go in. Now, I'll tell you what, the first season second season i mean it's just a well-written show period and it's going to change your perspective on the karate kid movies who's really the hero who's really the villain and it's brilliant it's absolutely brilliant 
Season three just came out on New Year's Day. So I don't know what the rule is there about spoilers and plot points, especially with shows that are, I mean, it's been on Netflix, the entire thing. This is not like a Mandalorian, for example, that goes one episode a week traditionally. So you're saying, Brent, what does this have to do with Syracuse Georgetown? Well, it has everything to do with Syracuse Georgetown, and here's why. What makes Cobra Kai work is it is the perfect blend. I have honestly never seen a television show that mixes nostalgia and current storytelling, that leans on characters from the past that people absolutely love. Johnny Lawrence, Daniel LaRusso, some of the other names that you recognize from the Karate Kid movies, but that was what it was certainly about. The spirit of Mr. Miyagi is evident throughout the show, but of course, uh, Pat Morita passed away a few years ago, so he's not on the show anymore. So the main characters are the characters from the movies, Johnny Lawrence, Daniel LaRusso, but a new generation, including both of their children and a younger generation, are learning the ways of Cobra Kai and learning the ways of Miyagi-Do. And it's just a delightful show. I, I just, I cannot tell you how great it is. I see Syracuse Georgetown in the same way. Here you have Jim Beheim and Patrick Ewing. I mean, go right to 1984, 1985, when those movies came out. And Karate Kid 3 later in, in the decade, which again was regrettable. But even Syracuse Georgetown has had some games where you're kind of like, eh, I, I I don't know. This this thing's losing some steam, right? But then something will come along. A new generation will come along and revive it. And that's exactly what we're seeing here. You have Beheim and Ewing, the anchors, that go back to when this rivalry was the rivalry in college basketball. And we'll talk about that with Jesse Washington coming up here shortly. But it has sustained and endured through the years. Generations pick up the baton and we have amazing games, and buzzer beaters, and the rivalry carries on. The true test of a rivalry is time. A true test of a rivalry is no matter what year it is, I'm a North Carolina fan, you're a Duke fan, I don't like you, you don't like me. In a sports sense, of course. Syracuse-Georgetown has endured, and, and Connecticut took a shot at being the rivalry for a while. Duke has entered its own category. In a way, I would classify it as a rivalry, and that's hard to just have an instant rivalry bloom, but that's what happened when Syracuse joined the ACC. I mean, from the moment these two started playing each other, every game has felt big. There's been huge moments, some of the biggest crowds in the history of college basketball, and that's great. But, see, the thing is, if you asked 100 Duke fans who their main rival is, none of them would say Syracuse. That still wins in a conversation when you ask Georgetown fans that. Syracuse-Georgetown is Cobra Kai. Two anchors from when it was born, when it happened, when it felt the biggest in the 1980s. But here we are in 2021. It's still a rivalry. They still play. Those of you that experienced that, cherish it. And you tell a younger generation what it was like. But a younger generation, much like in Cobra Kai, while respecting the past, they represent the current times, and look to the future. All you have to do is go back to even last year. Jalen Carey on the bench trips a dude, gets ejected, right? 
Since Syracuse and Georgetown have started playing again when Syracuse went to the ACC, this series has been close. Every time, no game has been decided by more than 10 points between these two. Tyus Battle had the buzzer beater a couple years ago. These have been intense, close games. Last year, Syracuse loses to Georgetown. That starts Syracuse off at 5-5. Five and five. That's the worst 10-game start in Jim Beheim's coaching tenure. It was an uncompleted season, of course, an incomplete season because of obvious reasons, coronavirus, and they never got to the tournament. But think back to when Syracuse lost that game, not only stings, to lose to a Georgetown team, by the way, last year that had seven scholarship players. Remember, they had players leave the team that week. They were in crisis. But they pulled together and they won that game, partially because that was a horribly officiated game that put Georgetown at the free throw line 29 times. Syracuse is like eight or something ridiculous like that, but I'm not bitter or anything. You don't play a rival. You don't keep it on the schedule for the sake of appeasing old people like me or older generations. So they could tell stories of back in the day, this used to be the rivalry. No, it still is. That's what a rivalry is, respecting the past but carrying the torch, and that's where we're at. Now, we're at the end of this two-game series. Remember, Syracuse and Georgetown agreed to a four-game series, and then they agreed to a two-game series. This is game two of that series last year down in D.C., this year here. It is a crying shame that there will be no fans in attendance for a Syracuse-Georgetown game who have set – multiple college basketball attendance records. That's going to break my heart more than any game we've seen so far. I mean, those are the games. Georgetown, Duke, North Carolina's coming in on Tuesday now. Those are the big games that people buy tickets for, that want to be at. Syracuse is lucky and thankful to be playing right now, but no fans at a Georgetown game that's going to be on ESPN now, 7 o'clock tip time. They've moved it to 7 from 8 o'clock. That is a crying, darn bloody shame. But at least we're going to watch the game, and we're going to think about those, and they're going to show the images, and and we're going to see all the moments. And, man, it's it's going to be emotional with John Thompson not being a part of it in person, certainly there in spirit. And, again, we'll talk to Jesse Washington a lot more about that coming up. But this is still a rivalry. It's still the rivalry, and I call on John Wildhack, and I call on Georgetown's athletic director, whose name escapes me at the moment, pardon me, to – Renew this series, not for two years, for four years, indefinitely. Renew this series forever. Syracuse, Georgetown, forever. It has proven it will endure. It is 4.15 p.m., and Georgetown still sucks. And on that note, we will break, and we will talk with a gentleman who has written a book that I cannot wait to read, because at the heart of it, no matter how many generations embrace this, it had to start somewhere. And it started when John Thompson proclaimed that Manly Fieldhouse is now closed. Well, Jesse Washington from ESPN has written a book about John Thompson. It's called I Came as a Shadow. It's an autobiography, and I am excited to talk to him about that and relive some old stories here. And maybe we'll learn a thing or two about John Thompson we didn't know, including today. Mike Waters writes a story I had no idea. This was the case. John Thompson, when he was a player in the late 1950s, was recruited by, yeah, Syracuse. Came to Syracuse, visited Syracuse, 
How would history have been different if John Thompson played at Syracuse and went on to become a head coach and coached here? Alternate history writing itself right there. So let's break. We'll come back. Jesse Washington will join us. You're on the block ESPN radio and twitch.tv slash Q sports talk. This is on the block with Brent. Axe. Welcome back. You're on the block. ESPN radio. Twitch.tv slash Q sports talk. Our friends on Twitch are currently debating. So I told Seth and Jordan this before the show. I said, I, I was in a bad mood last night. It's just been, you know, it's been a week in in this country and everything. And I was just, I felt myself like physically stressed and it's like 10 o'clock at night and I'm writing a column. I, it's not, I, I don't go, you know, I could have taken Summit for a walk, of course, but I just didn't want to go outside. And so bottom line is I went down a wormhole with an artist that I think a lot of you would be surprised that not only I listened to for two straight hours, did relieve my stress and I am a fan of. So that's the kind of uh, game we play in Twitch. They're currently trying to guess who it is. They have not gotten it, by the way. And I gave them a hint. It's a female artist. That's their only hint. But a lot, a lot of hits. I will put it that way. It's not, by the way, Taylor Swift, as some of you have guessed in the chat. It is not Janis Joplin. It is not Whitney Houston. Cindy Lauper. Oh, my God. Did you see Cindy Lauper on New Year's Eve? Oh, honey, what happened? Woo. That was awful. I hate to say it. I love Cindy Lauper. She's in some one of those drug commercials now. She actually does a really good job in the commercial. But, ooh, she was brutal. Brutal on New Year's Eve. So keep guessing. I don't know how we go from, it's not Celine Dion, by the way. That's an out-of-the-box guess there from our friend KC fan in the chat. But. Yes, she is still alive, Kevin Liverpool, who was asking in the chat. So I don't know how we go from that to the NFL Blitz, but that's what we do on this show. We make those kind of transitions because it is Wild Card Weekend. I'm ready. You're ready. We're all ready. And it starts with the Buffalo Bills hosting the Indianapolis Colts. One o'clock kickoff at Bills Stadium, Buffalo. Is minus six and a half. The over-under is 51. The Buffalo Bills. The Buffalo Bills. In the playoffs for the third time in four years after a 17-year drought, but they have not won a playoff game. Since 1995, Buffalo outscoring opponents 229 to 110 since week 12. They have finished the season on a 6-0 run, beating opponents by an average of 20 points per game. This Colts defense is tough. It is physical. It is top 10. In both points and yards allowed. But can they slow down Josh Allen and the Bills' offense? It's not going to be them that does it, honestly. It's going to be the Colts running the football. That's their only hope in this game. Jonathan Taylor closed out the regular season rushing for 741 yards, including 253 last week alone. Now, the Bills have dropped back to pass on 64% of their first down plays this season. That's the highest first down passing rate by a winning team in the past 20 years that's up 53 percent from last season buffalo's 2493 passing yards on first down the most in the national football league the bills covered six of eight home games this season tied for second best cover rate at home and a vast improvement over their six and ten mark at home against the spread the previous 
two seasons. Keep an eye on the Diggs and Beasley injuries. Diggs is a go. I'm not sure about Beasley, but if Diggs is not 100%, that is something to watch for that Bills passing game. L.A. at Seattle. Seahawks minus 3.5, 42.5 favorites over the Rams. Injury certainly a big factor in this one. Will it be Jared Goff with the broken thumb? Jamal Adams for Seattle says he's going to play and he's going to gut it out, but he is not 100%. John Wolford last week, by the way, became the first player in NFL history with 200-plus passing and 50-plus rushing yards in his first career start. But can John Wolford outduel Russell Wilson, who had six passing touchdowns of 30-plus yards or more this season, tied with Patrick Mahomes for the most in the National Football League? However... He was 2 of 16 with zero touchdowns and a pick on those throws over the last eight games of the season. He went 1 of 6 on those throws against the Rams, who allowed an NFL low completion percentage on deep balls this season. 14.5%. I think that Aaron Donald's got a lot to do with that. Seattle, 4 and 6 against the spread this season and went favored by more than a field goal. And the Rams are 3 and 1 against the spread when getting at least three and a half points during the McVay era. Tampa at Washington. The Washington football team. Tampa Bay is minus eight and a half. It's a 44 and a half over under. Tom Brady has more playoff wins with 30 than the Washington team does total as a franchise, which is 23. Brady is 26 and seven in his playoff career when he sacked two times or fewer, but he is four and four. When sacked three or more times, this is Washington's only hope. They have got to get after Brady. They've got to pressure him. Chase Young says, I want Tom Brady. Well, here's your chance. Mike Evans is questionable. He will play, but not 100%. That makes Antonio Brown's emergence, 20 catches, four touchdowns in his past three games, particularly important here. Alex Smith, quarterback for Washington. In his six starts this season, Washington has scored more than 23 points once. Washington ranked 31st in offensive efficiency. They were the fourth worst by a playoff team in the past 15 years, but the three teams with lower rates won their first playoff game of the season. The 2010 Seahawks, the 2016 Texans, and the 2011 Broncos all had that bad of an offensive efficiency at one. Unders were 6-2 and two in Washington home games this season, and Tampa has covered five of seven games this season when the under comes through. Baltimore at Tennessee. The Ravens are minus three with an over-under 54-and-a-half. These are the NFL's two best rushing teams. Baltimore is the eighth-best run defense. Tennessee ranks just 19th in that category. Derrick Henry has been a thorn in the Ravens' side. He had 195 yards. In the divisional round game last season and 133 yards, including a 29-yard touchdown this season. Lamar Jackson not showed up in the playoffs. He's totaled three touchdowns in two career playoff games, both losses. The Titans gave up 36 touchdowns through the air this season, which is tied for the most ever by a playoff team. Baltimore's 1,337 rushing yards over the past five games is the most by any team in a five-game span Since the Super Bowl era began in 1966, that is how well they're running the football right now. The Titans have failed to cover consecutive games when the over-under is 50-plus, and they can score. After opening the season 6-2 and against the spread, 
in a similar situation. Chicago at New Orleans, the Saints are minus 9.5. The over-under is 47.5. The Bears went 3-7 and seven after a 5-1 and one start, but they earned the final spot only after winning three of its final four games, all against non-playoff teams. The Saints are tied for the league lead in interceptions, while the Bears threw the fourth most with 16. The Saints had 18. The Saints could potentially get Michael Thomas and Kamara back in the lineup. They had COVID issues in the running back room. Will this be Drew Brees' last stand? A lot of rumbles. He's going to retire after the season. Mitchell Trubisky will be given a chance to win a playoff game for Chicago before he heads into free agency. Chicago's defense appears to be in real trouble. Got an elbow injury suffered last week by their best all-around defender, Roquan Smith. Khalil Mack cannot do it all himself. Bears running back David Montgomery has scored a rushing touchdown in five straight games. It's the longest streak by a Chicago Bear since 1990. Remember Neil Anderson? The Bears' offense as a whole has scored 31 points per game over the final five weeks of the season, tied with the Saints for sixth in the National Football League. Now, the most recent time that the Bears covered in a game in which they were a seven and a half plus point underdog was November 2017 against the Saints. Cleveland's at Pittsburgh. Steelers minus five and a half. The over-under is 47 and a half. The Browns' last playoff win. New Year's Day, 1995. That's four months before Baker Mayfield was born. Of course, COVID-19 has hit the Browns. Kevin Stefanski, head coach, number of coaches won't be there, won't be able to call plays. Once, one of the best run defenses in the National Football League, the Steelers, they're pretty bad in most recent weeks with injuries mounting on defense. They are going to get Robert Spillane back in the lineup, but you got to slow down Nick Chubb. It's going to be the Nick Chubb show. For Cleveland, can the Steelers do it? Only Aaron Rodgers has a higher QBR on play action this season than Baker Mayfield, but nobody defends against that better than the Steelers. Mayfield's yards per attempt dips from 9.5 on play action to 6.5 without it, and his completion percentage dips from 68 to 60%. Pittsburgh has covered in four of the past five meetings with the Browns. That's three straight after Cleveland had covered in four of the prior five matchups. That is the Wild Card Weekend NFL Blitz. That is everything you need to know about the upcoming playoff. Combined with what Benny Heisler told us earlier, good luck this weekend, my friends. But you know who's not going to need any luck? That is, of course, your. Just give me a, give me a, give me a, just a, just a sliver. Just the bills make me wanna. That's it. Look, the Colts. I don't want to say their only hope, but I kind of feel like their only hope is to run the football, to keep Josh Allen off the field. And while it's not going to be frigid in Buffalo, we're not talking about the time I went to see the Bills Raiders 1993 wild card when it was minus five at kickoff. Okay, we're not talking about that kind of cold, but Phillip Rivers in the cold becomes a different quarterback. I think the Bills are going to come after him as they should. Jonathan Taylor has been phenomenal running the football, physical defense. So, look, the Bills have to come out, and they've, as they've done all year, hit the gas pedal and go, and don't let up till the clock's at zero. 
The Colts are a really good first-half team. They're not a good second-half team. Against some of their better teams in the second half, they put up, I think it's like three, six, and nine points in recent games. I love the Frank Reich factor. Comes back. Now, they set the matchups on Sunday. Sunday was January 3rd. That was the anniversary of the greatest comeback in NFL history. Bills, Oilers, wildcard playoff game, 41-38. Bills down 35-3 in the third quarter. I was there. Okay, Bubba McDonald returns an interception, puts the Oilers up 35-3. My dad looks at me and says, let's go. I said, well, come on. We drove all this way. It's a playoff game. Let's at least stay to the fourth quarter. We stayed longer and saw the greatest comeback in NFL history. I love the Reich factor there. He's part of the Bills Mafia, the Bills family. He's a Bills fan, just not tomorrow. Fans will be there. Shout out to my boy, Scotty, who drove to, and I'm sure there's others out there listening that had to do this this week. So in order to go to the Bills game, they're allowing 6,700 fans. You have to get a negative test. This is kind of a guinea pig to see how they can do big events with testing and, and COVID still prominent out there and, and doing it smartly and as, as safely as you can. So you can't get a negative test, say, like my buddy Scotty, who lives here in Syracuse. He drove to Bill Stadium, got the test, which took less than five minutes, and drove back. Nice four-hour round trip just to see if he could go. But that is the Lanks Bills Mafia will go. I'm confident we'll be talking about a win on Monday. I hope we are talking about a a win on Monday. It's just a good feeling. This is a different feeling. I went into last year's playoffs not knowing what to expect. I love that Josh Allen went through that loss last year. What would the Bills be if they didn't experience that, to know that, and have that feeling? I think they learned from that. Look, they're not as healthy as they were a week ago. The Diggs and the Beasley injuries are ones to watch. But when you got guys like Isaiah McKenzie stepping up like he did a week ago, John Brown is back in the lineup. Josh Allen finds a way. His defense is healthy and locked in. I feel so good about this Bills team. I'm excited about this game. I'm excited about this team. I'm excited about the playoffs. I, for the first time, am going into an NFL postseason for the first time since like since 1993 that I referenced earlier. Not afraid of anyone or anything. And that is a great feeling to have as a football team. If you're a New England Patriots fan, you've experienced that in recent years. I mean, the Giants, when they were making their runs, it's, it's, it's a good feeling. But that ball kicks off tomorrow. Anything can happen. Looking forward to a big weekend. We'll talk more Syracuse-Georgetown coming up. We'll go on the blind side coming up. We still got about a half hour to play with. Before I dip into... The break here. Let me see if you guys have guessed this in the chat. <laughs> Dolly Parton, good guess. Not correct. Mariah Carey, Pat Bennett. You guys still haven't gotten it. Gloria Estefan, love me some Gloria, but that's not it. We still haven't gotten this. Who is that female artist I was rocking out to last night because I just had to put myself into a better mood? Maybe the chat will figure it out during this break at twitch.tv slash Q Sports Talks. Stay right there. Thank you. Bye-bye.